everyone. I'm Kyle Dyer, and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, April 21st. We are inching closer to the end of the legislative session, just two weeks left. And this has been a session with some very extended conversations over many different bills, and they're still going on. Let's uh, start this conversation by introducing our panel, Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward, David Copel, research director at the Independence Institute, Jesse Paul, legislative reporter for the Colorado Sun, and also Alton Dillard, the former longtime spokesperson for Denver Elections, who is now a communications consultant. Thank you all for joining. Uh, before we get to what's happening at the legislature, let's talk about the big week it has been for Denver-based Dominion voting systems. Patty, the settlement that was reached earlier this week is really something. Oh, it was shocking. I mean, you thought if there was going to be a settlement, it would have come on the eve of the trial, but not right before the opening arguments were going to start when we're all geared up to watch and see and getting ready to get out the popcorn when Rupert Murdoch testifies and when Tucker Carlson testifies. So you had a you got a clue on Monday. Jury duty had already started. Jury selection had started when they paused for a day, but then people still went back into court and they were ready for those arguments. And out comes the judge to say the parties had reached an agreement, and it's a big one. Dominion had sued for $1.6 in damages, but it got $787 million and a lot of satisfaction because Fox had to cave. It didn't apologize on air, but it certainly acknowledged that it had reported falsehoods. It is going to change the way people report, no question, because even repeating what Fox had had on the air could put you technically in a dangerous position too. So we're going to watch media outlets being more careful, but I hope it also makes some of those election deniers clam up. We'll see. David. Well, I, th I think it was a fair settlement because Dominion, uh, be because of these falsehoods, uh, they had crazy, dangerous people continuing uh, to come to their offices and, and threaten them. So the, the settlement was amount, which is, I believe, way, way more than Dominion's annual revenues, uh, is partly based on, on that. It wasn't just a matter of economic damages. The judge in the, the pretrial proceedings had found that the statements, that some of them one, that were on Fox, were false. The question for the jury then is the under the libel laws, you're liable if you knowingly made a false statement or did so with, with reckless regard for truth or falsehood. And obviously, you know, uh, Domin Fox and Dominion both had very good lawyers on each side, and this was their assessment of, you know, what, what's the reasonable expectation of what, what we can get from the jury. It's also an unusual case because you know, Dominion is a private business. They're not in, in the public eye. They're not elected officials and things like that. So they were successfully able to recover for libel. A lot of other things on TV, like on the other channels, like MSNBC's long-running uh, Russia collusion hoax, th those are much harder, even though they may be just as willfully false, it's really harder to imagine a plaintiff winning a libel case in one of those. Mm -hmm. Jesse, I know you were tied up a lot with the legislature this week, but still, that caught everybody's eye. Right. I mean, I think as someone who covers Colorado politics, it's part of the, the conversation in the Colorado GOP. This is something that, you know, the, the head of the Colorado GOP, the new chairman, Dave Williams, certainly is an election denier. It brings this stuff up all the time. It's kind of to Patty's point, I'm curious to see if this 
reins people back in, if they stop talking about it as much. Obviously, there's always been reputational damage to kind of spreading these falsehoods and these lies, but to have financial consequences is a whole other ballgame. And, and more to that point, right? I mean, certain Republicans oftentimes will talk about being election deniers or having uh, you know doubts about the 2020 election or about the election system in order to kind of drum up their base. Again, reputational damage versus monetary damage. Does this change things? Does this you know, make people think twice before they start talking about this stuff? Will it continue to be a platform? I, I think this, this will kind of change the calculus. Alton, you know equipment. <laughs> you know how things are run. What is your reaction to this case? Well, my reaction is this is a bell that can't be unrung. The damage to our democracy is incalculable. There's just no two ways about that. The Dominion system, Denver was actually one of the pilot counties that created the system that's in use in all but like four or five of Colorado's counties. I have friends who work for Dominion. I have friends who used to work for Dominion. You have people who were simply trying to do their jobs who got threatened because of the false narrative. And so we have seen from everything from January 6th to the ongoing things that Jesse's referring to in local politics, that I just don't think that our democracy is going to get back on track. Now, the monetary damages, that is going to factor well into this, but there is that segment of our society, especially that segment that looks like a Grapes of Wrath casting call, that is not going to go back on the belief that that election was stolen. Okay. Yeah, Jesse. Just to add one more thing. I mean, I think people see this big number and, and they think, oh, Dominion's going to be in a great place. But to, to Alton's point, I mean, there are people at Dominion Voting Systems whose lives were ruined by these, these claims. And I'm sure many of them would forego the money happily in order to not have gone through the harassment and all of the stress that they went through in recent years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, one of the more anticipated bills this legislative session narrowly failed to get out of committee early on Thursday morning after I don't know how many hours of testimony. David, you were there. Jesse, you were there. David, let's start with you on the so-called assault weapons ban. That's not happening. No, it was defeated uh, seven to six uh, because three Democrats on the committee uh, voted against it. And as they explained, they'd, they'd run on a platform of telling people, well, I'm going to support the existing Colorado gun controls, but I'm not going to vote for any kind of new gun ban. And the sponsor really failed uh, to carry the, the factual burden uh, of, of persuasion. You know, California's had an assault weapon ban since 1989, and it's also the mass shooting capital of the United States. They had 57 mass shootings in California just last year. So there were lots of witnesses who talked, you know, very persuasively about what a problem mass shootings are, but this is obviously, as California shows, not something that's going to be a solution. And one of the reasons is, as the Congressional Research Service found, fewer than 10 percent of mass shootings are perpetrated with so-called assault weapons. And then there was the problem of the incredibly bad bill drafting. And a lot of uh, gun store owners and, and folks like that came in and explained that this bill would outlaw about 70 percent of their current inventory. Now, when the one store owner said that, the, the mom's demand lady sitting next to me said, good, well, that, that's fine. But if you're going to ban 70 percent of guns, that doesn't look like some kind of reasonable or, or focused approach to anything. 
Jesse, you were there covering this the whole day. There were so there was so much testimony. Wasn't this the most? You know, how many hundreds of people had signed up to testify? I think we heard 500 people. And Republicans were saying that was a record. I don't know. It's hard. You know, the legislature's been around for 150 years, so <laughs> so you know, there's certainly been a lot of people who show up to testify for these bills. Kind of to David's point, a lot of these pieces of legislation oftentimes are model bills or model policy that comes from other state into Colorado, and sometimes it doesn't totally line up perfectly, and you see those kind of shifts and changes be made as the legislature process comes on. But I think what happened with this bill is kind of a failure of both policy and personality. You know, this this was always going to have an uphill battle. I think if Democrats wanted to find the votes to pass it, they probably could have. They probably would have had to pare back the bill. But there's also frustration for the bill sponsor in the House, Representative Elizabeth Epps, around how she brought the bill, not talking to her colleagues about it, and then at the last minute tried to really pare back the legislation to get it passed. It would have only banned bump stocks and, and trigger-activated devices. These are devices that basically make a semi-automatic gun fire in a similar rate to an automatic weapon. And I think it was extremely telling that Democrats on the committee decided not to agree to her amendments to pare back the bill and then voted it down. It was kind of a signal, I think, of just the frustration around her and the legislation, the way it was debated at the legislature. And I think if someone else brings it back in a different way, maybe in a future year, I think it will have a chance of passing. Well, yeah, and one of the things with that is uh, Representative Epps also made a point in her call out of the party, because one of the things with Democrats and when it comes to majority power, sometimes they don't swing the sledgehammer. And Jesse makes some very good points as far as some of the undercurrents there, but outside of when they made the move to limit debates on the other gun bills a couple of weeks ago, that's the first time I really saw them making the gangster, you know, majority, <laughs> we're in charge of this thing move. I worked in the U.S. Senate uh, when the Republicans took over the entire Congress in 1994. My friend who worked for Pat Schroeder came to office the next day and her furniture was in the hallway because the Republican office wanted her office. That's how majority politics gets run. But back to the bill at hand here. The other thing is that when it comes to the whole assault weapons thing and guns in general, Sandy Hook did not move the needle. This is the wild, wild west, and so we need to focus less on controlling the guns and controlling the criminals who are out there using them on people. Well, think about this. We are more than two decades after Columbine, and we are still so divided, um, not just in beliefs, but also in behavior. That's part of that, that we've seen a lot of bad behavior in the legislature this session, specifically over the topic of guns. But it's, of course, not just Colorado. We see what is going on nationally. I mean, this week we have the wave of people shooting people in cars who happen to park in the wrong place or turn around in the wrong place or open the door at the wrong time. So there's no question that guns are a problem if used improperly. Let's say they're also sometimes very necessary, but we have to figure out how to train people who are going to have them to use them and how to get... How to identify the people who should never be anywhere near a gun. And I think the legislature made a few steps forward in that this year. But looking at behavior, looking at the red flag law, that is really critical across the country. More work to be done. Jesse, at the legislature, I don't know how many overnight sessions there have been. You probably know. Do you expect more in these weeks ahead? What else is coming up that you have your eye on? Oh, yes. <laughs> there, there will be a lot of sleepless nights before uh, May 8th when the session wraps up. And there's still a couple bills that we know are, are probably going to come that are going to be pretty controversial, including how to refund uh, taxpayer surplus, Tabor surplus. Also, there's potential of a, a major property tax code rewrite. 
Uh, but one that was in introduced this week that I think is pretty interesting has to do with water. Democrats start off the legislative session by promising to take really bold, big action on water. Everyone knows what's going on with the Colorado River, the issues in the state, the drought in the Southwest. And we never really saw any bills. And then this week they dropped a, a piece of legislation or said they're going to drop a piece of legislation that would create a task force on the Colorado River. So it kind of punts the issue down the road. And it was really interesting to me, kind of indicative of just how sensitive and complicated this issue is. The legislature said, you know, we can't come up with this on our own. Let's convene 15 people to, you know, spend a year looking at this, bring us recommendations. The next year we'll get a move on it. It's very similar to kind of the, the interstate compact uh, negotiations that have fallen apart. The federal government's unwilling to take action on this. And now you see the state legislature kind of also saying, look, this is too complicated for us to just go forth with. We need some help on it. And it's so important. It's so important. Alton, what are you keeping your eye on? Well, like uh, Jesse mentioned, that particular bill, because uh, whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting. That's what they say out here in the West. The other thing I'm keeping an eye on is the big uh, elections uh, bill package that got dropped recently. The reason I always keep an eye out on for those is because as an unaffiliated voter, it gives you the chance to sort of watch both flanks. So anytime there's a big elections bill, you want to keep an eye on the amendment process because you will have one side saying, OK, now here's a chance for us to get out here and discuss things like ID laws and citizenship requirements on the right. On the left, sometimes you'll see amendments like, oh, well, let's extend early voting. Whereas our first week of early voting, you see a bunch of judges sitting around and reading. Another thing they talk about is, ah, well, let's leave the polls open until 8 o'clock on Election Day so everyone can get there. No, in Colorado, you get your ballots three, day, three weeks before Election Day. Everyone has plenty of time to vote. You don't have to go to a physical location and sit in a block-long line like you have to do in Georgia. Yeah. Patty. Well, in honor of 420, uh, yesterday... The Senate started talking about a bill that would make uh, some of the regulations to go with 122, which we, Colorado, passed back in November. This is legalizing psychedelics, ma magic mushrooms, but how to legalize them? They're not going to be able to be sold in stores, but do you license the people who can give them to you as part of a healing process? What kind of training do you need? It is so tricky, and they're looking at what happened with the legalization of recreational marijuana. 12 years ago, and thinking, how did those regulations take effect? What mistakes did we make? The social equity issues, the delivery issues. Well, you're not going to be delivering magic mushrooms. Sorry, David. But, um, <laughs> but otherwise, there is so much to do. And the committee that was put together, the advisory board by Polis, just met for the first time this week. They've got a lot of work to do in the next month. And the legislature, to even figure this out, is going to have a working really hard. They will need some psychedelics. <laughs> And, and David, it seems as though lawmakers have been hearing all the complaints from people since this wintertime when our Excel bills went through the yeah. roof. The problem with the legislature in, in Colorado is so much comes up as last minute late bills, you know, hugely important things that ought to be introduced, you know, before the session starts and have lots of time for the pro and the con and the input from all the different people. But instead, there's, there's so much of a tendency to get a late bill and, and with only a couple weeks left to go and ram through things that can have gigantic consequences with low understanding. And so one of those, like you're saying, is a bill about Excel. One part of the bill is very straightforward, and I think anybody ought to be able to 
make a decision, and I'd be for it, which is Excel can't charge the ratepayers for the money it spends for lobbying and political contributions and its various influence buying in, in, in various spheres. But the other thing is to say, we now have a system where, well, the price of natural gas goes up. Okay, that gets reflected in the electric electrical bill. Then the price goes down. Then that gets reflected. And you just straightforwardly do that as, as the prices change. And now they're trying to end that and say, if the, I think if like the price goes up this month, then they're going to spread out the price increase for the next years and years and years. And that seems kind of crazy and counterintuitive. And you'd at least want time for something as economically upside down as that to really have time for thoughtful discussion and not a rush. I agree with you. There's a lot of thought that needs to go into that. Okay, Denver's runoff election is Tuesday, June 6th. Ballots go in, go in the mail here in Denver, uh, May 15th, which is a little over three weeks away. Alton, the runoff for Denver mayor is a tight one. We're seeing polls this week that have Mike Johnson at 38.9%, Kelly Bruff at 34.1%. It's so close. It is close. And the thing that's going to be interesting to watch here is how these folks create some kind of separation. Because, you know, one of the things that people have to remember is that Denver's elections are nonpartisan. So these people are not running as Democrats, but they're Democrats. And so one of the things that people are really keeping an eye on are a couple of things. Five years ago, the notion of arresting people who wouldn't voluntarily go in to help if they're experiencing homelessness would have been a non-starter. So that shows some of the trends that are starting to happen in Denver. Another trend, as always, the largest voter turnout was in the 65 and up demographic, but our largest voter registration demographic are 30-year-olds. So it's going to be a matter of who gets on the ground and engages those younger people. And the other thing that's going to be interesting about this upcoming race is it's like the opposite of the lesser of two evils argument. Everyone I've talked to is like, well, Denver could do a lot worse than either one of these. So it's going to be interesting to see what effect that has on turnout. Maybe it will increase now that you don't have 16, 17 candidates to have to winnow through. And it is going to shape the future of Denver for what could be close to the next generation. So people need to vote. I do get on a soapbox about that. We make it too easy in Colorado and in Denver get off your you-know-what and vote. You're right. we got to vote. Patty. Well, when you think about it, so what, 33 34% of Denver voters actually voted this time. So these two candidates have to woo all those other people who didn't vote before, who couldn't be moved to vote. Maybe it was because they were confused, 16, just too many. They can maybe decide between two. But now they're having trouble differentiating between the two. But you also then are looking for the other voters who did go, more than 50% of the voters went for other candidates. So those people show that they're willing to vote. Are they willing to now trade their loyalty and their interest to another mayoral candidate? I haven't seen yet where all that maneuvering might go because these two candidates are very different from most of the other candidates who are on the ballot. But it is going to be a wild election. And, of course, we've got four city council seats. So mm -hmm. everyone needs to study up and vote. And you have time. June 6th. David. And if, if I'd say if you live in a city council district that's having a runoff, really do pay attention because there, in those races there are some big differences between the candidates. Yeah. On, on the mayoral race, I'm, 
I think it's two good choices, and they're, they're pretty similar. They are both uh, very experienced, both left of center, but not crazy Jacobins, and they're both respected by people on the other side of the political spectrum as being willing to listen to the facts, make informed decisions, and talk to everybody involved uh, before they make a decision. So I'm sure they'll try to find ways to differentiate themselves. But in, in my view, it's, it's a, 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 a happy choice uh, at the mayoral level. I heard Mayor Hancock on the radio saying, Denver will be great with either one. You know, again, yeah. like yeah. the differentiating. Jesse. Yeah, I guess kind of along those lines in mentioning Mayor Hancock, you know, it's fascinating all the folks who I think are sitting on the sidelines and haven't endorsed in this race. We saw Wellington Webb come out and back Kelly Bruh, uh, Kelly Bruff this week, and uh, we haven't seen John Hickenlooper, Michael Bennett, other big-name Democrats. The governor hasn't weighed in on this race. I think people have kind of tried to keep things at arm's length, but also, really consequentially, all of the progressive candidates who didn't make the runoff, I wonder who they're going to back, you know, looking at Lisa Calderon or Leslie Harrod. Are they going to weigh in at some point on this race and maybe signal to their supporters that they should back one candidate or the other? Really interested to see that. And then on the turnout side, I mean, I, I think that's just so critical, and I think the conversations that are starting to happen in Denver around ranked choice voting and whether or not the spring municipal election should be moved to an odd or even year November election to boost turnout. I think those are probably going to heat up given just how few people voted. And yeah, get off your note. You, you know what and vote. I like all this <laughs> message. Yeah, and I also just wanted to chime in with the fact that that's the other thing we have to keep an eye on here is what kind of coalitions form. And that's the other reason I was so disappointed about the low turnout in the first round of elections. You want to know the person you voted for, which camp that they're falling into if they did not succeed in getting to the runoff. And yes, we definitely need to explore things like instant uh, runoff, but we also need to look at Denver's ridiculously low signature thresholds. It should take more than 300 petition signatures to be the chief executive of a city the size of Denver. And now to collect a lot of money for your run. <laughs> right, yes. all the money, right. All right, thank you. Let's uh, now start off our lightning round where each panelist will go down the line, talk about something great this week, something not so good that transpired. Patty, we'll start off with the not so great, something disappointed you, and we'll end on a positive note. Well, so we had the Dominion case, a Denver case in Delaware. At the U.S. Supreme Court on Wednesday, they heard arguments in a Colorado stalking case. A man who had stalked online, a Colorado musician, sending hundreds of thousands of horrible messages to her. He was convicted. Now they're debating whether or not online harassment like that constitutes a real crime and a serious threat. And I think if you were on the receiving end of those messages, you would absolutely think it was a crime. Mm -hmm. the, the Colorado legislature majority went, claims to be pro-choice on abortion, but actually enacted a crazy bill uh, that the governor signed, even though he complained about it, uh, that makes Colorado the only state that forbids women from using progesterone to reverse uh, taking an abortion pill. And the studies show that, that that works about half the time. You know, sometimes a woman changes her mind, sometimes a woman's been like dosed with, with that accidentally by some, or intentionally, by somebody putting it in her drink. And, and fortunately, the, the federal uh, court issued a temporary restraining order so that, that medical, a medical center that helps people who choose to reverse an abortion pill uh, can at least continue to do that uh, while the case proceeds. Yeah, I found that ruling late night 
some federal courts to the thing, and, and we'll have an interesting uh, hearing in federal court on that next week. Uh, I, last time I was on the show, I talked about how I was excited to watch the Rockies lose, and they haven't disappointed. So I went to, went to watch the Rockies lose this week. They are, they are my negative thing of the week, disappointment. <laughs> and my disappointment continues to be how the Denver Public Schools keeps trying to thread the needle about having kids who have to be checked for weapons inside of schools. That is just asinine to me, it really truly is. And I'm not saying that you just throw away kids if they fall off the path, but there has to be an alternative for violent kids. I'm not talking kids who boosted a beef jerky stick from the 7-Eleven. I'm talking about kids who are having to be checked for guns, knives, et cetera, in an educational setting. All right, Patty. Something good. Okay, we've survived 420 on to Earth Day on Saturday. Get out, enjoy Colorado, and go to a national park. They're free. Okay, good. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which covers the, the West Coast, ruled that a law that forbids new construction to have natural gas hookups is preempted by federal laws about natural gas regulation. That's not binding here in, in the Rocky Mountains, but I hope that the Tenth Circuit uh, follows that lead. Okay, Jesse. I'll keep it sports-related. Shout-out to the Nuggets for having a great week in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. It's been fun. One chance to grow up. An organization I work with worked with the organizers of the Denver 420 Fest to make sure it was ID verified 21 and up. Marijuana has an adverse effect on still developing brains. We've always been neutral on adult legalization and consumption, but making sure to keep the kids, especially away from today's high-octane products, that was a win. As a mom, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you all for joining us this week, and thanks for watching. You can always re-watch or share any episode by checking out pbs12.org or our YouTube page, and you can also listen to Colorado Inside Out on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And you're always welcome to tell us what you're thinking by emailing us at cio at pbs12.org. I am Kyle Dyer. I will see you next week right here on PBS 12. <laughs>